John, according to his family, believed in the camaraderie of veterans. They understand each other like no one else. Um, So this program employs veteran peer specialists. And what's different is we go out into the community to different outreach events, and we look for veterans, and we ensure that they're connected with either the VA or community resources to help empower them to have a successful, fulfilling life. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Hello and welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are, as always, coming to you from West Bend, overlooking the great Milwaukee River. And today we've got a very, very special team, very important topic We have the team from the Medical College of Wisconsin, Captain John D. Mason, veteran peer outreach program. And I'll start by introducing our guest. We have Joe Tate, Bill Mason, Susan Schmeichel, Mark Flower, and Chris Swift. We are going to introduce them a little bit more as we get to them. But to start out, we were going to go to Susan Schmeichel, who is the Senior Administrative Assistant for the Medical College of Wisconsin Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine. And she's going to introduce us to the Captain John D. Mason program. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, I joined Medical College of Wisconsin in 2018 to assist in helping to coordinate and set up the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program. It is based off of Captain John D. Mason, uh, who served in Vietnam with the 2nd Battalion, 12th Marines, 3rd Marine Division. He was awarded the Bronze Star Medal with Combat V. He had a very stellar military career. Um, When he got out, he was a very successful businessman for many years, married, had a family. Um, But all those years, he struggled with PTSD and depression from his time in Vietnam. And the stigma of mental illness at the time, um, he never dealt with any of, of the issues that he was facing. In 2013, he had some financial distress and back injury. And uh, never having dealt with those issues, uh, but overtook him, and he died by suicide, but not before leaving five suicide notes, one to his wife, one to each of his adult children, one to his best friend, Joe Tate, and one to all five of them. In the letter, he wrote, get me to the VA. It's too late for me. Stop someone else. So his best friend, Joe Tate, and his wife, Jen, uh, were moved and went to the Medical College of Wisconsin and Zablocki VA and said, I need you to help. I need you to help me. We need to help veterans. Um, So they did come up with a program, the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program, which is unlike 
any other. John, according to his family, believed in the camaraderie of veterans. They understand each other like no one else. Um, So this program employs veteran peer specialists. And what's different is we go out into the community um, to different outreach events, and we look for veterans, and we ensure that they're connected with either the VA or community resources uh, to help empower them to have successful, fulfilling life. Thank you, Susan, so much for that. And now we are going to go directly to Joe Tate, who uh, Susan has introduced as the person responsible for actually taking the message to the medical college and to the VA and uh, getting this program started. So welcome, Joe, and start it out with uh, how this all happened for you. Well, I, as I go back, uh, way back to high school, I had one very good friend, and, and uh, it was John. I did a video on it, and I mentioned that he was my best friend, and, and in fact, he is. And I don't know how many really good friends anybody has, but I certainly had one because I knew for a fact that uh, John would die for me. I just knew that, and I can't really say that about anybody else on uh, on earth, but, but I knew that. And so to honor John... Jennifer and I decided that we would uh, get together with the Medical College of Wisconsin and see if we could help another veteran get through the problems that they had um, because John died by suicide uh, uh, about eight years ago. And one one of the things that I want to say is that people may sometimes think that a person that, that dies by suicide is weak or not all there, or I'm not sure what all, but I want everybody to know that John Mason was the strongest, most courageous person that you could ever possibly know, and that was was John. We uh, started the program at the medical college, and uh, that's all I've got to say uh, for right now. Well, Uh, Joe, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'd like to ask you now, because I think this is probably going to be a very good place to add the written statement that you have as a video that you created. Uh, So if the audience would be patient with us, if you're okay with that, Joe, uh, Joe, would this be a good time to read that in? Sure. So we're going to go ahead and do that. So this will be something technologically added, spliced into our presentation right now. Um, so here we go with uh, Joe Tate and reading uh, his letter from John D. Mason. Dear Diane, take my body to the VA hospital in North Chicago. Please do not take me to the local hospital. The VA will take care of me. Stress, can't sleep. Losing weight, door is open, voices screaming, can't get them to stop. Excruciating pain, please stop Vietnam voices. I killed you, you hate me, robbed you of your life. Had to, you or me. Joe, my beautiful, wonderful, precious friend. Sorry, can't finish job. Always did my best, no trying, only JFDI. Have to stop voices. 
Dear Diane, my love, so sorry door is open. Please stop screaming Vietnamese. Can't understand, but know why they hate me. Stop. Bill and Katie, not hereditary. Just me, bad experience. Be strong. I love you both so very much. Joe, please watch over Diane, Bill, and Katie. They will need you. Jenny, please take care of them also. Voices stop. Joe, I love you. Next to my dad, you are the best man I know. Love all of you. No more voices. Get me to the VA so they can stop someone else. Too late for me. So there is the break. You've read that letter. Um, is there a comment you'd like to make about the letter, Joe, or should we go on and introduce um, John's son, William? Yeah, I... Uh... I think the letter pretty much says it all. It, it was about honoring John that uh, I did this. And I think uh, a whole different insight would come from Bill, uh, John's son. It's mentioned in the, uh, the letter that I read. So inter introduce uh, Bill Mason. Okay, let's go over and introduce Bill Mason. Uh, he is the son of Captain John John Mason. So welcome, Bill, and thank you so much for, for sharing this, because what you're about to share is just uh, as the direct son of uh, John D. Mason, you have a much more valuable insight into this whole thing, and of course, to the reactions and the aftermath of this. So welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to do it. Take it away. Tell us, tell us uh, how do we even introduce the topic and get going on this? How, how, how did you react to this, uh, this event? Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's complicated. I mean, suicide is, you know, such a, there's so much stigma associated with it. And, you know, first off, I just want to thank Joe for, you know, kind of putting this together because I think that, you know, for me specifically, I mean, one of the things I, I was bothered by when my dad died by suicide is I didn't, I was afraid that that was going to define him. You know, it was like, oh, now this is what happened in his life. And, and I think, you know, this program is a way to, you know, kind of try to bring some, some positive out of that. And, you know, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. I know my family is, and, you know, we're just very grateful for that. And, you know, I just, my dad was a great guy. I mean, I, I don't, you know, his life was uh, very multifaceted and everything. And he was a, he was a great dad. One of the things that could be the most difficult for you. So we want to be very, very polite and considerate on how we approach this topic with you. And sure. as I've mentioned to many people, I know I've lost my brother to suicide, but would you like to share how you reacted to this when you heard it and some of the long-term reactions that you're having, what this has meant to you? I mean, it was total shock. Um, you know, my dad was, you know, a very uh, positive person. He was always trying to you know, instill that positivity in us. And I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird because it's like he was the last person I would have ever thought, you know, end up taking his own life. And, you know, cause he was always like, never give up, never, you know, that he had that quote on his wall in his office, ne 
by Winston Churchill, never, never, never give up. And, and then, you know, it was almost kind of like he gave up. And that was hard to, you know, kind of come to terms with. But as the years have gone by, I've really realized that there's a lot more to it. And, you know, I didn't realize how impactful his Vietnam experience truly was to him because he never really gave us that insight. I mean, he just kind of plowed through life and I didn't know how he was really struggling. The the other uh, two veterans that are with us today, I should have identified them as veterans, uh, Mark Flower and Chris Swift and and myself, a veteran, also know that the Marines have something that is that... that thing behind a Marine that is not supposed to have any faults, it's supposed to have upheld and withstood all of its responsibilities as a soldier. They have no weakness. They have no cracks. And so to show anybody that uh, they have any difficulty is, is just not going to happen in many cases. Were you aware of that as your dad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he went to, he was Superman to us, you know, and he went to great lengths to kind of portray that. And, you know, he was, yeah, that's, that was him. But, sure. but at the same time, in our conversation, he didn't share too much about the ex- actual experience behind the veteran. No, very, very little. I mean, he, he, he had about three stories in circulation that we would hear just about his, <laughs> but they were never like, you know. So, yeah, we knew very little about it, right. honestly. And he also had some other struggles along the way. I, one of them in particular that I could identify with is he was a marathon runner. He was. And yeah. he came to have some problems with his back that permanently took him off of the marathon track. And I know that I walk every day, and walking is something, physical exercise, is something that I have to do for depression and to avoid taking antidepressants. How important was the, the, the marathon running to your dad? I mean, just exercise in general, it was, it was his life. I mean, he, it was his way of, you know, I think maybe kind of keeping some of the demons at bay. He... You know, it really was, you know, when he heard his back you know, a few months before he passed away, you know, I, I had an interaction with him where they told him he could never run again. And I, it was like complete, you know, defeat, just utter like, you know, he, I mean, he was just a shell of a person. And I think that for him was just so critical to be able to have that exercise and running and everything to kind of keep his mind you know, kind of off of everything. It, and it, I, I don't know all this, and none of us are doctors. We're not here to practice medicine. We're not um, mental health professionals. But I have been on, on antidepressants, and I won't. I do the best I can not to go on them. And running has helped me. It does something to the chemistry of my body that I can sleep. So when this uh, event happened with your father, that he was taken off and and had this severe pain, did you notice that changing his sleep and his attitude and? Yeah, he he couldn't sleep. He, um, you know, was just, I mean, mentally just destroyed by it. Honestly, I mean, he that was his the only way that he really had to like kind of stabilize it. Exactly, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really to 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 keep it at. There's something I can't explain it, but when I walk, I sleep better. If I stop walking, it automatically comes back, and and. That's something that somebody else would have to explain, but certainly a critical. The other thing you explained to me, which I, I found very, very heartbreaking, is that he had to spend time with, with your mom, mm-hmm. uh, with his wife, who was terminally ill. Right. How did that affect him in supposition? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, my mom was, was ill on and off for pretty much my whole life with her. And particularly the last three years of her life, she was very ill. She was 
you know, essentially bedridden. And, and at that same time of his life, he was going through some financial difficulties with, you know, his business and everything. And I just, I don't know how he made it through that at that time. I mean, I, I know that he, you know, in particular, you know, had attempted suicide Previous. right around that time, you know, so it was, it was definitely, um, you know, and thankfully, you know, it was unsuccessful, but um, he was struggling mentally definitely at that time. So let me ask you this, Bill. So, so now you've had this experience. Your father's taken his own life. You have to adjust to this, but you also have all the social implications or voices or opinions on what suicide is. What, what are the stigmas? What are the, the feelings? How have you dealt with this? What is legitimate? What's illegitimate? What, what, what do you try to avoid? But how do you come down in your soul to really accept this the best you can without listening to, well, I'm a Catholic and you're not supposed to do this, which we right. had talked about. I'm Catholic and uh, all of the different social, I, I can't think of a better word than stigmas of, uh, of taking your own life. How, how has that affected you? I found that it's very uncomfortable for most people to talk about. They would like to avoid it at all costs. Like, oh, wait, and maybe because maybe they don't know how to, I'm going to react to it. So it's, you know, they just want to kind of like, oh, we don't, we don't discuss that. I mean, you know, for me, I, I know my dad and I know that, you know, I, I for me, the stigma, it's, it's like, I know that for him, it was just, he needed to eliminate pain and that was it. And like, he wouldn't have done this if he felt that there was like another way out for himself. But um, I just, you know, the, the stigma is tough because it's it's out there, and and I'm I'm hoping that there's a way that we can, you know, start to eliminate that. I I would like you to say that sentence one more time. <laughs> you know that it's out there, but I know the stigma is out there, but I'm hoping that you know we can eliminate it because there's. Which is why we're all here today. I think probably the stigma is one of the most uh, powerful things that we need to eliminate. And we're not going to go off on the stigma, but we have to stop and think, what is the stigma really doing for us to make to give us a healthy life? What is the stigma, that the voice inside of us that is actually improving our life? It doesn't. It's not there. It's keeping us from getting the help. It's keeping us, especially if we're on the level of Marines or soldiers in general, uh, keeps us from going. But if you really think of the value of stigma, it, it has no real value except to keep you in harm and keep you uh, feeling unhealthy and sick. Um, but w- when you mentioned that your father was in pain, I'd like to ask one more question before we bring in Chris and Mark a little sure. bit. It wasn't just physical pain. It wasn't just emotional pain. He had the combination. I mean, he was getting hit from all sides with this. Oh, yeah. It was like, a, it was like an onslaught of just physical, mental, emotional pain from from all directions and i think that you know for him he was just looking to end, I, he didn't see a way out of it and he was just looking to end that pain well so. we're certainly grateful that you're coming to join us because i to tell you the truth um with chris and mark and and a lot of us who are working at peer support to understand from the person who's actually experienced it is so valuable to us and to the work that they're doing so let's bring in chris swift chris uh is an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran. He was a combat medic, uh, three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And he is uh, very, very um, engaged in the, the community for the topics that are related to the transition of veterans, uh, soldiers moving into civilian life. And he has had his share of, of struggles to get there. So he speaks with great experience. 
Welcome, Chris. Come on. Oh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, uh, pleasure to be here. This is an awesome opportunity for us to not only get the program out there, to, but to talk about stigma of death by suicide, which is one of the largest issues that we are having in the veteran community. Um, I want to thank uh, Mr. Tate and Mr. Mason for both being here and sharing their story because there's nothing more powerful than seeing the human factor of what it has done to families, friends, well, in this case, best friend, basically a brother, and then son. You know, we can't sit here. If we've never experienced this, we can't get it out and be as powerful and as impactful as what you guys are going to be able to do with this scenario. Um, We can sit here and talk and listen to everybody all day, but until somebody with that experience comes in, you know, it's very very powerful um, where we can get in. We get the commonality being with the veteran community, being veterans ourselves. We have that rapport automatically built in and everything. So we are lucky from that respect. Also, I think it's very important that you guys are here to do it. So nobody else has to go through what you've gone through. That is a level of sacrifice that in the military, you know, we, we have the Army values, so Mike, Mike, Mark, and I, we, we follow the um, Army values, selfless service being one of them, and what, that's what you guys are doing now. We don't, we don't quite have that, that Marine hoorah-rah, but, you know, no matter what, we love, we love our Marines, we love our Navy, we love our Air Force, and our Coast Guard. Um, that's one of the best things about the military is the camaraderie. We talked a little earlier about camaraderie and how special that is. And just you have that instant, the, the veteran community has that instantaneous camaraderie because, oh, you were in the Air Force. Oh, you were in the Coast Guard. You were in the Navy. You were in the Army. You were in the Marines. We can sit there in a, in a room and just talk about each other, like all these backhanded compliments, just all this stuff to just razz each other. But once somebody else tries to come into that circle and tries to say something to anyone, now you'll see what the brother brotherhood and sisterhood is. And um, being part of this program gives us the opportunity to be out and talk to veterans and see if veterans are having these issues. And then when you guys talk and talk about things that have happened and things that you saw and that you're able to identify with, that gives us another pair of eyes that we can look forward to that we can look through when we're going forward, you know, because you, you, Bill, you said that your father was the strongest man, you know, he was Superman to you. And you didn't think that anything would have been able to take him down like that. But it's knowing people that have gone through this situation and stuff like that. I mean, Marines just in general are pretty, they're, it's not even stubborn. Like stubborn is one level. They are like three levels above that. Invincible. And, yeah. Like right. invincible is still being light on it, you know? <laughs> and when we can remove the stigma where people don't have to live up to this unrealistic life. You were a Marine. You did some, you did some crazy wild stuff and then you come home. You don't have to live. You don't have to be that, that rock all the time. And that's part of what Mike is doing is letting them know that the stigma is like the stigma is now more of the enemy than it is anything else because it forces people to do things that 
that are not that are not productive. You know, you see that like getting mental health, like oh, you're weak if you get in mental health. Well, now it's it's looked at as it's more courageous to get help because now you're being vulnerable. Now you're opening up. You're letting people see that. Oh my God, yeah, I went over. I went overseas. I did some badass shit. But when you come home, you have to deal with that. And earlier we talked about the moral injury aspect of it. Like when you're in combat, it's you or the enemy. You know, and a lot of time when you're when you're out with your your platoon, your fire team, your company, your your um division, your battalion, your division, you're out with all these different elements of your unit. You're going to do whatever you can to make sure you and everybody else goes home. But during that process, there might be some things that create a moral injury. And without the true help that the stigma is interfering with, we can't make that progress. We have to be able to get that. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be open for that to happen. And with you all coming on and sharing this, you know, hopefully somebody hears that and goes, you know what? Maybe I will. And for those out you that think that there's going to be the magic witch doctor in there that's going to talk to you for 15 minutes, throw some pixie dust on you and tell you to take Motrin and go home, you're not going to be cured like that. It's, it's a process. But one of the things is, is that, you know, when you start feeling the feelings and the emotions, you stop numbing them. The bad feelings suck. They do. There's nothing you can do about them. But the good feelings are so much better that you can you can hold on to those and you can see others. Another thing about the veteran community, when others make are making progress, people it's like watching a like a sporting event and you're out there and you're wearing that the apparel of your team and your team just did something. So another veteran or another person in general is making progress. They're being vulnerable. They're being open. They're doing treatment. They're making the steps necessary to get better. And then bam, it's happening. And you're watching it unfold in front of your eyes. You know, this is, these are some of the things that are going to help people experience that. And when you walk down the street, you could walk right next to some of somebody that you affected and just not know it. And the fact that you're willing to do that and be that selfless in this process says a lot about your character. You know, they talk about the Travis Mannion Foundation on, on the radio. And one of the best things that they say is character is invisible until it's not. This is one of those things that's showing true character and it's giving others an opportunity and it's a roadmap to follow and to hopefully get the help that they need. Sorry, we I got are here. No, that's fine, Chris. <laughs> we are here with the team from the Medical College of Wisconsin, Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program. And with us are Joe Tate, Bill Mason, who is the son of a Marine who did take his own life, and Joe Tate, his best friend, who actually started uh, the program, the, the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program, and Susan Smichael, who is the Senior Administrative Assistant at the Medical College of Wisconsin in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine, and two veterans, uh, Mark Flower and uh, Chris Swift. We'll get to, to Mark here pretty quick. I just, Chris, uh, two things I'd like to ask you really, really quick, because I know your story. You've shared this with us. And one of the, one of the most important things that hit me when you told your story, you finally found purpose. You went through, as we did, a lot of us, the alcoholism, the divorces. I mean, you're not here because you're just a nice guy that wants to share this stuff. 
Mark and, and Chris and I are, are veterans doing this because we know what it's like to be there. And when we see somebody else struggling, we see a little bit of ourselves in that. And the thing that always struck me when I came home, if somebody would have said, you've had experiences that you did not expect or understand, let's educate you so that you learn how to resolve these things. Well, the first thing they do is they come to a soldier and say, you've got mental health issues. Well, you already shut the door on me going to get help because the stigma is there. If we were just look at this, if you've experienced something in any other part of your life, your car breaks down, you don't say, well, there's a stigma against having my car fixed. You find the answers to it. You go out and you educate yourself. And that's the premise for what we're doing with the podcast is getting away from the stigma of, uh, of I, will, I, I don't even like using the term PTSD, and getting to the logic of let's find answers for these reactions that I have not had. But tell me, Chris, share with me. I'm sorry to be long-winded about that, but I'm passionate about it. This idea of you found passion, and that's what you're looking for in the John D. Mason. When you're reaching out to these veterans or whoever it might be in the community who are struggling, give them some hope that there is this purpose out there again. Well, one of the things is, you mentioned, you said the word hope. Now, in general, everybody out there who has hope is doing everything they can to maintain that, to keep that hope, keep hope alive, be able to, you know, I hope that I get um, a better place in life. I hope that I can provide better for my family, or I, I hope I can, you know, what, whatever that hope is. Once you take that away and you eliminate it, you just kind of defeat somebody to a point of almost no return. Um, also, I think that dealing with veterans and sharing my story, you know, I recovering alcoholic, I was a guy who couldn't drink. I was a guy who couldn't stop drinking. Like I drank because I was happy. I drank because I was sad. I drank because I didn't want to think about things. I drank things because I did want to think about things. But I used... I, I used it as a numbing defense mechanism where I didn't have to deal with it. And it's not the same for everybody. But when you realize that getting into so much trouble and causing myself more harm, like going over to Iraq and Afghanistan, they say we we're defending the freedoms back here. And then I come back home and I do everything I can to lose all my freedoms. So it's kind of a, a, a defeating purpose. Are, yeah, defeating purpose, what I was doing. And then, you know, finding programs like this where it's veterans helping veterans and peer support. These are things that other veterans and friends that I have talked to, I can tell at least 10 people since I have been part of this program that have become peer support specialists. And I wouldn't have known it until then. Mark brought it up to, you know, Mark talked about it to me more when I got into the program. Because I was, I got three DUIs. I had to go to inpatient rehab at the VA. And then I went, I did seven months in jail in Ozaukee County. And then I got hired on this position. And then when I got to meet, like I knew it was peer support, but I didn't know what peer support was. So Mark educated me on that. And then over time, Susan was like, hey, we got a peer support program coming in. Um, you want to go take the class? And then that's how I did it. And then I shared that with other people and Helping others, like the veteran community is, they're very, they want to take care of each other. They're, they're more willing to do something to help somebody else than they are to help themselves. So in that process, it gives us that purpose, you know, as a medic, like guys came to me with, with all their problems. 
Some of their problems I could have done without, but for the most part, you know, they come to you for everything. Like you are the psychiatrist, you are the priest, you're the brother, the sister, the mother, the father, you're everything. And then when I left active duty, I missed, I lost that. And then I didn't know how to get it back. So I used drinking as my coping mechanism. But with the peer support, it gives us an immediate rapport because we were veterans. But it also makes it, it takes everything off. Because a lot of times when you go talk to the doctors, they might have the white coat or they're sitting in the desk that's got all this, this huge desk that's got everything on it. So it's kind of intimidating. As tough as you think veterans might be, we're deep down, we're vulnerable. We're not as, we're not Rambo. Like too many people are like, oh, you're in the military. You must be Rambo. I wish, but it's not always like that. So if we can find ways, and I think peer support is one of the best ways that we can. And programs like this, that bad things happen and then good things come out of it. I know it sounds, it, it almost cheapens how it comes across, but for the loss that you all have and to come out and start a program that's going to help others. It's unbelievable. Well, let's bring in this guy named Mark flower who introduced you to peer support and uh, honored to have you with us. Uh, Mark flower, Mark flower served in the army. And I always get this wrong because I know he served in tanks. I know he served in, in uh, a couple of other so I, I, there, I'll, I'll do that part for you. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Enlisted in the Army in 76 and then was in the infantry. Got out of done playing infantry, went into tanks and did that for about 10 years. So 19 Echo armor back in the day when it was 19 Echoes. And then ended my career as a medic. 91 Bravo, because I think it's different now. But back back in the day when it was still a 91 Bravo. Well, you know, uh, they, uh, they, they, they change add, their MOS numbers all the time. Yeah, let, let me add that Mark is very, very active in the veteran community problem. Also, all of the activities he had is in some way related to improving the health care or health of veterans, uh, either psychologically, physically, many, many different ways. But he also has had his struggles in transition uh, from military to civilian life, which qualify him to to be in this conversation. Uh, So, Mark, you, you have been here. You've listened to Joe. You've listened to Bill. Tell us something that you've gotten out of this and how the, the John D. Mason will help improve what we've experienced today. Wow. Do you hear me? Am I okay? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, you're fine. Um, I want to thank you both first. Joel, thank you. Bill, thank you. Because um, uh, veteran suicide, well, suicide in general is a thing with me, but veteran suicide is special in my heart because there are a lot of my brothers and sisters, unfortunately, 20, 20 a day. Actually, I think it's higher, but we'll go with the VA stats, 20 a day, um, of our brothers and sisters that die every day by suicide. And it's a, it's a prevalent problem. And to me, it's, I mean, I had my journeys of idolation and, and my own personal journey in that aspect. And I'm a veteran in recovery. Um, a few different little maladies that I'm trying to recover from even today. Um, Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, it's it, it's one of these things that's here, and getting getting folks to work on that work on getting better. I mean, I I could go on a big trial, but I have a more of a question for you guys. So, in hindsight, if someone or you saw someone that was going through what John was doing, 
which maybe at the time it didn't seem to be like a red flag, but in hindsight kind of went, oh, we really need to make an effort to kind of maybe get him someplace, that individual. Could you maybe talk about some of that stuff for me? Because I think what's very important to me about your story is the fact that the stigmatization of it all, that whole that whole realm that keeps us from asking for help. You could talk about if I would have saw that in hindsight, that I could have then reached out, if not 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 made him kind of reach out, that individual, I could have reached out and actually then maybe been a, a preemptive factor in your dad's life or your friend's life or, in fact, anybody's life. Whoever's going through this thing, so could, could maybe could you answer some of that stuff, Joe? Joe, do you want to start? Do you, you yeah, yeah, I would, I would. Um, yeah, I had known John for uh, this was our at our fiftieth high school reunion, and so I had known John at that time for some fifty four years because I met him in eighth grade, and. Uh, over the years, John and I got into into business together, and at at the fiftieth um, anniversary of our high school graduation, he said to me, um, "You know, if it wasn't for you, I I wouldn't be alive." And you know, I I I I thought he was talking a little bit about business because the business that we had wasn't doing real well. And I and I thought that's kind of what he meant, but as I look back now, um, I think I really missed that. Um, so there's that was maybe that was very direct, but for me, I certainly in, interpreted that wrong. Um, and and one other thing that as I've listened to everybody that I wanted to say and it it's not necessarily for the veterans but it's for the survivors of the people that have died by suicide as I as I think back about John uh and and now look back and and see all of his struggles and and everything that he went through and everything that we went through together I really would would suggest to people that maybe there's a different perspective that you could look at somebody's suicide. And I, I believe this in my heart. I believe that John was uh, one of the strongest people on earth that definitely that I knew. And I and I and I think, man. Think of the courage that this person had to live as long as he did and go through everything that he did. Uh, yeah, and then he died by suicide. But if anybody is out there and you think that you're going to make it through a tsunami, you're just not going to make it. Um, but I just I think of uh, my perspective today is that, wow, what what a what a strong courageous person he was to to deal with all of this stuff that that he he dealt with and to live as to live as long as he did i i, I don't think i would have i don't think i'm that strong uh but he was he was and he was truly a a, a great person I, I really appreciate what you're saying to include those who are 
are left behind, the families that are left behind. I'm not sure how to ask the question of someone who is struggling with suicidal thinking to think of their families. I'm not sure if that's a fair question. I'm not sure if it's a mental health question, but uh, there, there, a, a lot of us had come home and we were the focus of our issues. We were the ones who went to war. We were the ones who experienced it. We had the medals. We had the heartache. We were the isolation. We were angry. All of the, the things that we came home with, the guilt, and never thought about the family. And uh, Dr. Lee, who is a combat-wounded medical commander in Iraq, uh, came home, and he's now the director of the um, Spinal Cord Injury Hospital at the hospital, the VA hospital in Milwaukee. Uh, when I spoke with him, he said, Mike, the real casualty of war is the family. And I sometimes think that the real casualties sometimes of this uh, experience of suicide are the people left behind. I'm not sure how to engage the person who might be in suicidal with that thinking or that understanding, depending on how complex the pain is. But uh, I, I think that's a legitimate, at least something for a subject that should be explored more. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's just a different perspective. I mean, I, I think it has stigma to it as, as you're, you're weak or whatever. And I sure don't see that as the case with John. Bill, you're, 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 you're obviously wanted to say something. You're in agreement. Going back to what oh, Mark yeah. asked you, to pick it up from there. I was just going to say, like, um, you know, with with suicide, you, you know, in hindsight, you can go back and, and be like, oh, okay. So, for example, like, roughly about two, two weeks before my dad died, I got a card in the mail from him. It was a birthday card. My birthday's in December. He died in August. And he wrote in there, he's like, I just wanted to send this to you just, you know, at the time he would do stuff like that. So I didn't really think anything of it, but in hindsight, I can see he knew he wasn't going to be there. So he wanted to just give that to me. And, and there's other things that's, it's like, he went out of his way to kind of create this, like, I can do anything. I'm, I'm invincible, like that Marine mentality. So it was, it was tough for us to kind of pick through that, you know, with, you know, his, but at the same time, and I've experienced that with my family, we're not thinking of the person as at the time as taking their own life. So it's right. nice. We can go back and look where their signs, for example, my brother started giving things away, his personal things. He was giving away necklaces that he right. wore and his watch and all these other things. I never associated that with the fact that he would, that he would do something as dramatic as he had done. So would it be fair, Mark, that we go back and are, are there other emotions that you feel when this happens, like angry that it happened or guilty that it happened, or, you know, that you could have done something, you didn't do something, why did he do it, any of that? Or is... All of it, yeah. All of it. Yeah, anger, sadness, just. And where do you go with that? I mean, I, you know, you just kind of try to work through it and you, you kind of come to a place where you come to terms with what, what has happened. And, you know, I... I like I had said earlier, I, it just, it bothered me that he would possibly be defined by that. And I didn't want that for him because he was such a great person mm -hmm. and he, he did so many things and it's like, that can't be what he's remembered as, you know? When I listened to Mark Flower and, and Chris Swift, uh, they've, they've been through significant things. I, I know Mark has uh, got some, some incredible stories of homelessness, living under bridges, all of these different things. One of the reasons that we do this, I think, I will, I'll speak a little bit for them, 
is we've been there and we know how, how, how severe this is. And we almost see ourselves and other people who are struggling. Now that you have gotten to eight years past this time, is there something that you could add to the conversation or participate in the conversation in, in some way that would be therapeutic for you to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I just thank you guys for, you know, your your service and your stories. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm so grateful for, you know, all the, all the service members. And honestly, like, it was just, I, I've, I really have a, a, a great appreciation for, you know, what you go through and, you know, kind of how you, I mean, I just, I, I don't understand how you can come back into, after experiencing that in your life and come back and just try to li- live a normal life. How is that possible? I get that, but I'm not letting you out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back. Is there something you, you, we have experienced the pre, you've experienced the post. In that, engaging family members who have experienced something similar, as veterans come to us as peers because we've had similar experiences, you're not the veteran peer in this experience. Is there something that that you could offer, would offer? Would you like to learn how to offer to get involved in that conversation uh, so, so that people who don't go through or who do go through something similar don't have to have the, the severe effects that you've had? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I guess it would just be to understand that, you know, even though there may be a, like there was a facade that he kind of put up for us and intentionally, I think it's to understand that there may be something under the surface that's, you know, kind of going on and just to be kind of aware that, you know, he may be struggling and it's, it's so hard to say because it is, it really is. And, And if we add words to it, like forgiveness and love and how did these things real emotions come in? And I think we talked earlier about, do you have to know everything that was possibly passing through this person's soul or where do we come to resolutions with, uh, with accepting it and, right. And and being forgiving. I, I think in Joe's letter, he mentions that, that your dad couldn't forgive himself for what happened at war. So now you're up against this thing that your father has done. How do you come to forgiveness? How do you come? Is that a legitimate question? Yeah, it is. I, I would say that, um, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't think of him as, as how he ended his life. I don't, you know, and it, it took a long time to, because obviously there's, you know, a lot of people left behind and, you know, the effects that that creates and everything. I, I think of his life and, who he, who he was and and that's how I how I remember him and it took a long time to to get to that because I was very angry at him I felt very sad for him I just I, all of it I just you know you kind of s- cycle through and it Guilty. just any you know, guilt 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 yeah I, for sure I mean I you know what could I have done differently I mean how could I have you know, how how could we not see this I mean he was clearly struggling and and how did he how was he allowed to get to this point? You know, kind kind of like you went through the the the, the cycle or the the grieving process because yeah. everything that you talked about right there was that grieving process of trying to figure out why. And um, so I think what Mike is so what did did you have to do anything in that process? Is my I guess my question in the grieving process that you kind of were going through. Did you need help going through any of that, or did you just kind of work through it on your own? I guess it's maybe my question, because I know some folks need help 
working through the grieving process. Yeah, Some folks sure. don't really need help going through the grieving process. So, uh, so is there anything that you needed to do, or even maybe Joe? Because I know Joe, you grieved John, and uh, so so through that process of, of working through that, did you actually you at all go get any help, or were you just able to kind of work through that process to where you were able then to? Okay, I get it. Relax. Yeah, I've I've definitely been in therapy for you know for for all of it, and it just it's. Honestly, you know, fortunately I have a, a wife who's a great listener, so she allows me to kind of, um, you know, work through all that. But, you know, it just, it just takes time and to, you know, and you, when the dust settles, you kind of say, okay, what, what is this? What happened here? You know, and it's, it just, it's so tough. It, it really, it's just such a, such a tough process. But, but continue with that, that thinking of Mark's thinking there. Would you suggest to anyone who is struggling with this, go to therapy earlier, get to it, uh, start finding answers? Uh, 100%, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and I think, you know, Mark kind of implied that you got through this on your own, but we get through a lot of on our own, our homelessness, our alcoholism, staying in jail, and uh, the divorces and everything else. But if we had gone for help a lot earlier, I mean, think of the quality of life that is spared and, and is that earned. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I come to realize that the military taught me that I can fix whatever. But all it taught, really, in my reality of my life, it taught me how to destroy myself. And it took me going to ask for help and actually didn't include people in my life to step me back on that path of being healthy again, or whatever that looks like, but being healthy again. I mean, I could not have fought anywhere in my life without help from other people. But for a very long time of my life, I could do it by myself. I can fix this by myself, which actually kept me in that same spot of, I like to call doing what I wanted to do, except instead of doing what I was supposed to be doing. And now this is coming from me, but to me, it, it, it's, it's, and I hate, I hate this. It takes a village, but it really, in, in a lot of ways, it does. And I, I wish, that 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 probably wouldn't have been that that statement in some rates in some world part of our world is stigmatized, but it does take a village. It takes it takes my friend. It takes the whole thing to get us kind of back where we're supposed to be. And I guess that was my hindsight question because if there's things that you guys could have you saw that could have been like really red flags that weren't red flags at that time could help that village be a little bit more aware of my God, we actually need to possibly talk about this more or 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 i hate to say force people to go get help but but in the same side make that make because i you know i i know i wish there was there was times in my life i wish people saw warning signs in me gratefully some of them did and i had some people even though that's the last thing i wanted to hear that helped me and um and so a lot of us with the stigmatization in my mind of especially a suicide and there's many reasons of stigmatization i mean militarily it's uh, you're weak religiously you're not going to heaven in some cases depending on the religion um it, uh, that whole gambit of why people don't get help but yet in the same side going back to earlier in what mike was saying and i think even you guys are saying, was that, you know, that keeps me from getting help. 
that stigmatization and anything that we can do to break down that stigmatization. Because I know Joe was an awesome guy. I didn't know Joe, but I know he was an awesome guy. I can tell by you. I can tell by Joe. I can tell by your family that I have met that he was an awesome guy. And I think a lot of the folks that utilize that option, which is the worst option in the world, because it is the worst option in the world, are good people. It's just that they have hopelessness. I think Chris was talking about hopelessness. We all kind of talked about hope. When we reach that moment of hopelessness, well, you know, we, we, we kind of run out of room. We, we, we utilized individually everything that we could have, uh, individually we utilized everything that I could have utilized, but then all of a sudden, you know, and then we're left with that, that choice. And so I guess that in hindsight question to me is very important because, you know, it, if it could provide some insight, then possibly someone being aware enough to go, come on, we need to go get some help. That's one less possible person that then will die by suicide, which then, in my mind, it's a success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I went on a rant long enough That's about okay. that. We'll cover That's- the rant now. We're, we're here with the, the team from the Medical College of Wisconsin, Captain John D. Mason, Veteran Pure Outreach Program. And we're getting to a time where we close this uh, this particular episode up. But I'd like to go around and just let everyone have have uh, an, another say at this one last uh, impression, and also to uh, close out by thanking Joe and and uh, Bill again. So, Joe, have you got a, a last thought? And certainly with the idea that we're going to invite you back to continue this in a, another session. Well, I I think um, yeah, we we want to help our vets and. I guess my message would be um, to take a different look at at this at the person who who in fact has has died by suicide. I think you can find the the beauty in that. I I know that there's just some mountains that you just can't climb because they're too big, and I think a little different perspective of finding the beauty and the love. And the kindness and the courage in in the people that have that have left us, and focus on those things rather than the stigma of, oh, he was weak and he and he died by suicide or she died by. Suicide. I don't think any of us have a clue of exactly how strong and how many demons they fought and how high the hill was, uh, and there's just in some cases. Uh, you know, if the am- a- avalanche is coming down uh, and you're in the way, guess what? Uh, you're in the way. Bill Mason, this is your first experience. We're certainly grateful for you coming today. And uh, Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's, tell us, uh, give us a, an opinion. I would just say that, um, you know, kind of like Joe was saying, my, my dad was not weak at all. Like he was not, he was the strongest person I have ever known. So that this, you know, him dying by suicide kind of ran contrary to who I, I know that he was, you know, and I just, you know, I mean, I know it's, it's tough, you know, to, to, to try to get help and, you know, because there's a, there's a, you know, you're, you're, you're Marine and you're, it's, 
it's a weakness, you know, you, you, but that's, it's not true. I mean, it's, it's actually the opposite of that to you know, admit that you're struggling and, you know, you can kind of address this. I mean, I, I wish that, you know, that he had, I wish he was still here and that, that he never felt like this was the only option for him. Mark Flower, yes, you go on rants. I've been around you long enough without going on another rant. Close her up. Uh, I just want to say thank you, Joe and Bill, for coming and talking to us today. And uh, uh, Mike for hosting, I guess. You're awesome in everything that you do. And I, my teammates, Susan and Chris, which they're going to come and take my spot here in a second. Um, but I just want to thank you all. And um, thank you for telling your stories today because that, that, that's important. And I appreciate it. Thank you. The rant is over. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> oh, I couldn't go. <laughs> I could That's okay. Susan Schmeichel, who is the uh, Senior Administrative Assistant, Medical College of Wisconsin, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral uh, Medicine. Thank you so much. You are really, and Chris and Mark will say that you're the backbone behind this project. You're the one that keeps it all flowing and moving and organized. And Mark would probably still be sleeping to right now if he didn't know that he had to be here. So <laughs> give, give us a, a, a final for yeah. today. Well, I will appreciate that. Um, thank you again for being here. Thanks to the team and thanks to Joe and Bill Mason. And I just want them to know that by this program, that you set up, Joe, and by your dad, his legacy lives on. And the amount of people who have been touched and helped thus far in your dad's name, we can't even count. Your dad lives on. Your best friend lives on. So many people have been helped by this program, um, by the Facebook page, by the veteran peers that have worked for the program. Steve, Mark, Chris... Um, I just want you to know that. And to the veterans out there, um, I just want you to know that there are people out there that care about you. And to family and friends out there, I want you to know that you should reach out to them. For those that are veterans or family members even, uh, but veterans, you're looking for a peer, someone to assist you, you're not sure what you need, please reach out to us. Um, you can do so by either going to www veteranpeeroutreach.org. There's a contact form there for our program. Please fill that out. One of us will reach out to you. Um, you can also go to www.reachoutwis.org. Um, our program is listed on there. Uh, we're part of the Southeastern Wisconsin Suicide Prevention Task Force. All of our task force members, veteran organizations are out there to help families and veterans. Um, many resources on that website, including ours. Um, but the biggest thing is reach out. I, I think uh, you, you, you go ahead and mention the the uh, the safe gun storage if you want. I would give it a quick uh, sure. A quick continuation of um, what we're here for is to prevent veteran suicide, suicide in, in really in anyone, but um, our hearts with veterans. Um, an extension of that is we are working to promote Wisconsin's gunshot project and safe storage program. Uh, to bring this to our counties across the state. Um, basically what it is, it's twofold. The Gunshot Project is an educational piece where we provide firearm retailers and range owners with educational suicide prevention materials and responsible firearm ownership materials that they can provide their customers. Um, we give the staff tools um, 
to war- identify warning signs and how to effectively handle those, as if someone was coming in um, to purchase a firearm and and maybe it wasn't for recreation or for protection. Maybe they were in distress, so ways to recognize that. The second part is the safe storage program, where the firearm retailer would provide voluntary, temporary safe storage uh, to a veteran or individual who's in a temporary crisis, um, because we do know that over 50% of suicides are not due to mental health illness, but more so someone going through a temporary crisis, um, maybe a job loss, maybe a divorce, maybe some legal trouble, um, just a, a temporary feeling of dire hopelessness. So um, giving the ability to have time between a lethal means and the person can save a life. Um, we certainly recommend that you know if you have a firearm and you're going through a temporary crisis, ask a family member or a friend to hold it for you, uh, lock it up and give someone the key, put it in the safe, have someone else you know have the calm. But in the event that um, someone doesn't have those means or they don't want people to know, whatever it may be, um, that individual can go to www.bethereWIS.com um, and under the Live Today Put It Away tab, there's an interactive map. They can go and they can look for the closest firearm retailer near them. They can call them up and say, hey, I'd like to make an appointment just to have you hold my firearm. And it's a temporary Hold it for one, two, or three months, and it's between that veteran or that individual and the gun shop owner whom they trust. Um, so that's just another extension. And then, you know, once they've they're ready, they can come and pick up their firearm. But it just gives that time. So just another another facet to suicide prevention. So, so give us that that site one more time. Sure, it's www.bethereis.com, and just go under the Live Today Put It Away tab. Thank you so much. Uh, excellent information. Chris Swift, if, and if you want to include a, uh, a resource for us, I'm certainly more than welcome to do that as well. Um, one of the resources um, in the time that we did our podcast for the Captain John D. Mason program, we had a gentleman named Matt McConnell um, came on with the next 18. So it just, for veterans who golf, for veterans who don't golf, they have a program set up that, allows um, individuals to get lessons from a PGA professional. They do that for three days, and then they go play a course. It's one of those things that gives you a hobby, gives you something else to do. Well, Matt McConnell is one of the guys that he realized himself that he was in crisis, and he removed his weapon from him so he didn't have to make that decision whether he was going to take it to the next level and die by suicide. So I always like to um, put out his program and stuff like that. And I've talked to Matt a couple of times, and I I definitely plan on doing his program. Mark said he plans on doing his program, but Mark's not a golfer. Mark's going to go there and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes for us. Well, one of the other aspects of that program, Chris, is during that time over lunch and and, uh, you actually do talk about uh, veterans' issues. So you're not just playing golf. They they break it up with other veterans. And this is probably one of the most powerful parts of that program. When we get with other veterans who have the same struggles, things become better and we have a connection to something that gives us hope. And that's another part of his great golf program. And one of the things is that when you get a group of um, veterans in the same room together, 
it can become very talkative. <laughs> Which we're trying to yeah, avoid. So, <laughs> and humorous. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things, like, to, as a closeout, I'd like to say that, once again, thank you guys for showing up and doing this with us. Mike, thank you for taking the time and the opportunity and your resources to get this out to others. And just out, those out there that are struggling, reach out. There's There's so many different ways you can do it. Um, if you are contemplating suicide, if you feel there's a stigma, talk to somebody, get into a program that has other veterans, because chances are you get a room full of five veterans, somebody in there has been helped in some sort of program, and hopefully that will help you. Like that's the goal of these programs is to get it. You help one, the word gets out there and it just keeps going. It becomes a snowball, the snowball effect, and it just keeps going and gets bigger and bigger. So don't don't be closed minded. Stay open minded. Get help. Get rid of the stigma, and let's move forward. Couldn't have said it better. So we are so grateful to all of you. To Joe Tate, Bill Mason, Susan Smichael, uh, Mark Flower, and Chris Swift. This has been very very educational, no question about it. And I would also like to reach out to anyone who might be suffering uh, these suicidal uh, ideologies or thoughts. But I also want to mention before that those of us who have thought about uh, taking our own lives know that there's a punishing uh, time. It can be decades of depression that go before this. And that depression can be just as punishing and uh, something that we can also help with. So if, you're, if you have the, the depression, don't late, wait until it gets to its, uh, its most deadly form. And if you are struggling, call the Veterans uh, Crisis Line. And that number is uh, 1-800-273-8255, and then press the number one. These are th- This is an excellent resource to go and actually hear a, a live human voice. And uh, the other uh, organization to take a, a, a look at would be the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. They lost a son to suicide, and their website, Charles E. Kubley foundation.org has a lot of resources and, uh, and and other information that would be valuable for you to uh, come in contact with. And, and again, just reaching out to people who might uh, share the common experience. So for all of us who are here, I would like to make one more announcement and ask uh, Bill Mason a question. And would you be honored if we were to purchase in your name a stone at the high ground that goes on their memorial walk for your dad? Oh, Absolutely, yeah. Consider it done. Definitely. And you'll go Thank up you. there and uh, when the day comes to, oh, for, for the opening and the presentation to do that? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Okay, man. We'd also like to, to uh, let people know that this is the year that the Be There Wisconsin is going to make an assault on suicide in the state of Wisconsin. And if you want to check out their resource at reachoutwis.org, as was mentioned before, get more information on that and participate in any way you can. You don't have to actually be in danger, but if you're concerned, you're a family member, you have something to say, you want to participate, get involved, uh, contact those people. And lastly, we would like to thank uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin, not just for what they're doing on this particular program, but for all the different programs that they're involved with to improve the health care of veterans and military families. So, For all of us, for co-host Bob Host, I'm Mike Orban. Thank you for joining us. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. 
You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.